Brilliant. All right, guys. Good morning. How are you doing? You all right? Brilliant. Um, I am so, I am honestly honored to be here this morning. Um, as um, Dom was saying, I am, I've been part of the Reality family for years. And um, I've been following Reality Ventura from a distance, online, through social media. Tim is a very good friend of mine. He's a mentor um, to me, and I am incredibly thankful to, uh, you know, to come here for the first time and actually witness God work in and through you guys. You guys have incredible leaders, and they are incredible because they love Jesus, and they desire for all of you to love Jesus. And um, for Tim, I have so much in common with Tim, I really do. Um, but since when he went to London, um, that changed a little because he decided to support the soccer team that is rival to the soccer team I support. Um, and so things changed with us a little bit. Um, <laughs> no, but he's great. You guys know that. Love you guys. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. I'm going to read it and we're going to dive exploring who God is and how he relates to us. Psalm 139 reads, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You Hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shore, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, okay, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written. Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. 
and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Wow. Let's pray. God, we ask this morning that you would open up the eyes of our hearts so that we may know how immense you are, but also how intimate you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 2014, his death shocked the world. In the eyes of the world, he was one of the best, the brightest, and most beloved actors ever to appear on the big screen. A close friend paid tribute to him and rightly described him as a man who made us laugh big time. People close to him described him as a man who was as funny off stage as he was on it. He was one of the most successful and greatest entertainers the world has witnessed. But sadly, on the morning of August 11, 2014, news of Robin Williams' death began to spread the articles and news tell us that he took his own life. His death was shocking to me. And I'm sure it was for most of you here this morning because I found it hard to believe how someone who made us laugh so hard was so sad within. Here was a man who appeared to be carefree. He had everything. He had awards and um, resources. He appeared to be untroubled and in good spirits, but in reality, the way he died reveals to us that he was deeply distressed. The life of Robin Williams is a helpful example of the dichotomy between appearance and reality. This is what I mean. Most of the time, what we see is different to what is true. And the reason we're unable to discern what is true from what is false is because we're simply human, okay? What we know about others has limitations. But what if, what if someone could tell the difference? What if there was someone out there who knew everything? about you. The Bible is clear about many things. And one of those things is that God knows everything. For the God of creation, okay, there's no difference between appearance and reality. He's completely aware of everything and anything. What we know about people as humans may be limited, but what God knows about every human on the face of this planet is unlimited. 
God knows everything about you. God knows everything about the person sitting next to you. And God knows everything about every human being on this planet. And our psalm for this morning, Psalm 139, reveals this astonishing and mind-blowing truth. And this truth is, God is beyond our comprehension, but at the same time, this great God is deeply personal. In other words, God is immense, but he's also very much intimate. He is out of this world, but at the same time personally involved in your life. And so, how is God personally involved in your life? First, God knows you perfectly. Look at verse 1 again. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. Here, the word searched here literally means to dig. It's used to describe the searching and digging that takes place when archaeologists camp somewhere and begin to search for precious items. In a similar way, God has thoroughly searched you and because of this he knows you perfectly this means no part of you is hidden from his knowledge so if God knows you perfectly question I want us to explore is what exactly does he know about us firstly he knows your thoughts look at verse 2 you know when I sit down And when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. So God is fully aware of every thought that appears in your mind, okay? He knows what you're going to think. He knows what you're thinking right now, okay? He knows what you think about the person sitting next to you, and he knows what you think about me. He's fully aware of all of these thoughts. And what makes this even more astonishing is that he knows your thoughts from afar, What this means is that God knows what you're going to think before the thought crystallizes in your mind. He knows now everything you're going to be thinking about later on. You're not the only one aware of your thoughts. God knows them and he knows them perfectly. God doesn't only know your thoughts, he also knows your actions. Look at verse 3. It says, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. In, In other words, God is fully aware of everything you do. He is acquainted with all your ways. God not only knows your thoughts and actions, he's also perfectly aware of everything you say. Look at verse 4. It says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. What does this mean? God knows perfectly every word you have spoken from birth until now. And again, this gets even more fascinating and mind-blowing because This verse we just read also shows us that God knows the words you've not even spoken yet. You don't believe me? Look at verse 4 again. It's crazy. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh 
Lord, you know it all together. God knows what you'll say before you say it. All right? Whether you whisper it under your breath or you utter it in private or you bite your tongue to keep yourself from saying what you really wanted to say, guess what? God knows. God knows you perfectly. He's not distant. He's near and he's aware of everything you think, everything you say, and everything you do. And the reason God knows you perfectly is because he is close to you. Look at verse 5. It says, you hand me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. What does this mean? It means that God has surrounded you. Okay? He's behind you. He's in front of you. Okay? You, you, you think you can escape him, but you can't. Because the moment you think you can run from him, you, you, know, you, you end up encountering him. And then you think, I'm going to go the other direction. And he's there as well. God is everywhere. I love Charles Spurgeon. Okay? Not just because he's a Brit. Okay? But I love Charles Spurgeon because he was so faithful in preaching God's word. This is what he had to say about this. He says, we cannot turn back and so escape him, for he is behind we cannot go forward and out marching, for he is before. In other words, God has boxed you in. He has surrounded you. And the interesting thing is, depending on the relationship you have with him, his overwhelming presence in your life is either intimidating or comforting. No thought you think, no word you speak, and no action you take escapes God's knowledge. He knows everything about you. He knows you perfectly. How are you doing? <laughs> Welcome to church. How do these truths make you feel? Overwhelmed, amazed. Some of you feel comforted by these truths. But I would guess most of us are mind, this is just blowing our minds. It's incredibly hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that God knows everything about us. Just mind-blowing. And this response is expected, okay? You're in good company because it's exactly how David, who's the author of this psalm, responded. That's why he said in verse 6, look at verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Basically, David's just been uh, unraveling and um, uh, articulating how great and intimate God is. And after he does this in verse 6, he's just like, look, uh, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He is stunned by how deeply and intimately God knows him. His knowledge exceeds his comprehension and even his imagination. Think about 
the most mind-blowing experience you've had. Think about the most mind-blowing thing you've seen in your mind. Something you saw that just blew your mind. I remember when I first laid eyes on the Grand Canyon. I was just blown away, okay? I'd heard so much about it, you know? When so many people are talking about how something is awesome and you're on your way to see it, and I was trying to manage my expectations and all of that stuff, but man, people were right. I remember seeing the Grand Canyon and being in awe, right? If I was a cartoon character, my jaw would have dropped, okay? My eyes would have just popped wider. It was an incredible experience. At the same time, my son, who was five at the time, was with me, and he also laid eyes on the Grand Canyon, and after doing that, he looks up at me and says, Dad, that looks like a regular mountain. <laughs> oh, I love my son. But in those days, he was way more in awe of trucks and school buses than and fire trucks than he was the Grand Canyon. And this is how these truths about God should make you feel, all right? They should blow your mind. The fact that God knows everything about you, the fact that he knows your thoughts, your words, and your deeds should cause you to say, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. But there is more. God does not only know you perfectly, um, we're going to explore how God is with you continually. Firstly, he is with you at every location. Look at verse 7. It says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? All right. In this verse, David poses two rhetorical questions. These questions are meant to make a point not demand an answer, and the point he's trying to make is that God is with you continually. God is with you wherever you go, and this point is further explained in verse 8. Look at verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shore, you are there. Okay, what does this all mean? It means that the words heaven and shore describe the furthest locations upwards and downwards. They represent the highest heavens and the deepest part of the earth. And this is basically telling us that in these locations, God is there. In verses 9 to 10, David continues to emphasize God's inescapable presence. There is nowhere on this planet He's basically saying that you can go without God being there. God is continually with you, and he is with you at every location. If God is with you at every location, this must also mean he is with you in every situation, right? And this should bring about much comfort for some of you. In a room of this size, I am sure 
There are people in here who are experiencing intense challenges. Life is difficult. It definitely is. And some of you are currently in a difficult and challenging season of your life. For some of you, it's health-related. You are dealing with some major health issues. Um, for some of you, the issues you have are financial. Um, or for some of you, the issue you have is in the form of an addiction that will destroy your life if you're not delivered from it. And for some of you, relationally speaking, it may be um, related to your marriage, right? You and your spouse cannot reconcile. There is no peace in your home and so looking at all of this there are some people some of you are here and you are dealing and facing challenging and difficult situations this portion of the psalm reminds us that even though the dark nights of your soul even though the dark nights are tormenting your soul sorry even though God seems far and distant this morning, I am here to remind you of the truth that God knows. Whether you believe it or not, he is with you. He knows you perfectly, and he is with you in every situation, especially when life is hard. And he has sent me to remind you that he has not abandoned you. He is near and he's not only near, but he cares, and he is gracious and loving and powerful and will work all things out for your good and his ultimate glory. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, his hand shall lead you, and his right hand shall hold you, verse 10 declares. God knows you perfectly, okay? He is with you continually and cares for you because he made you and he made you wonderfully. Look at verses 13 to 15. Just amazing. Look at it. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. These three verses we just read contain some of the most extraordinary truths about who? About you. The words formed, knitted, made, and woven are worth highlighting. Why? Because they communicate the intimate relationship God has with you. In other words, you are not a mass-produced item. You were individually and personally handmade by God himself. Right? God gave you your features, right? God gave you your personality, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert like me, or whether you are athletic or smart, whatever you are, God fearfully and wonderfully made you. The interesting thing is, even though these are the truest things about us, if you're like me, you find yourself despising who you are and desiring what you do not have. 
me give you an example in my own life. I am 38 and I cannot grow a beard, okay? See, you guys see? It's, it's crazy, okay? Everywhere I go, beards are trending now, okay? They're everywhere. Everywhere I go, I come in, Dom's got this, Dom's got this amazing beard, and I'm like, God, I want a beard, right? And I think about it much, and I know it's comical, but it gives you an example of our tendency, right? To always want what we don't have, and the moment we start to do that, we are discontent. Like me, if you find yourself despising who you are, I hope these truths are helpful. I hope the fact that you're fearfully and wonderfully made by the God of creation revives and sustains contentment in your life. God not only knows made you wonderfully, but he also mapped out every day of your life. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my informed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was, uh, there was none of them. Right? This is crazy. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, God scheduled every day of your life. This means that you are here today because God planned for you to be here today. God has been involved at every stage of your life. He knows everything about you. And because of this, he thinks about you constantly. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. God knows you perfectly. God is with you continually. God made you wonderfully and God thinks about you constantly. So far, and I know you guys would agree with me, David, who's the author of this psalm, has been expressing with poetic beauty um, the greatness and the intimate nature of God's relationship with us. Then, something interesting happens. There's a shift, okay? From verse 19, there's this drastic, dramatic change in his tone. Look at verse 19 and 20 with me. It says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Wait! (laughs) What's going on? One minute, David is like, God, you know me and you think about me and you're awesome and you're intimate with me and then now it's slay the wicked. I've never seen these verses on a Christian t-shirt. Okay, and I've never in my life, if I'm wrong, please let me know, I've never heard a Christian worship song based on this particular verse. Imagine walking into a church and hearing a congregation singing, Oh, slay the wicked God, Baba. No! What is going on? One moment, David's tone and words are warm and pleasant. Now they're violent and unpleasant. 
in verse 19, David desires the wicked to be slayed by God. He goes on to describe the wicked as those who speak against God with malicious intent and take God's name in vain. In verse 20, he refers to them as enemies of God. Why the sudden change? It's this part of Psalm 139, a misfit. Based on first impressions, this part of the psalm does seem like a misfit. That seems like, it does seem like it's killing the vibe. But a close examination reveals that it actually fits perfectly with what has come before and what will come after. In fact, this is one of the ways we are expected to respond to the truth about who God is and how he relates to us. And our response should be this, an unwavering devotion to him. And this devotion or allegiance to God is further clarified in verses 21 and 22, which reads, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. David here, what he's doing is that he's pledging his allegiance to God. The wicked are God's enemies, and because of this, they are his enemies. David loves what God loves, and the motivation behind his intense hatred of evil is because of his devotion and love for God. He's so consumed with who God is and how intimately God knows him, he begins to love what God loves and hate what God hates. For example, I love my wife and my kids to bits. They have the cutest family ever. And I always say, someone who dislikes my family, I naturally dislike them. It absolutely makes sense, doesn't it? In a similar way, David's love for God is the motivation behind his hatred for wickedness. And this is because all wickedness and sin is ultimately, what? Against God. What about you? How do you view sin in our world and in our city? How do you respond to murder, rape, death, adultery, injustice, slavery, or racism? Does your devotion to God cause you to hate all forms of sin and evil and wickedness as much as he does? Now, if we were to stop here, we would be making this assumption. We would be assuming that this is calling all of us to be religious finger pointers, okay? It's as if David is pointing the finger at everybody else, right? We've seen it. David's talking about how good and great God is. And then he's like, God, all these evil and wicked people, I want them slain. Comes across that way. But what happens next is helpful. What David says next changes the focus. He actually starts pointing the finger at himself. 
He says in verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Here, David is asking for God to search him so that God may know him. But the question I'm sure you're thinking about, and if you're not, you should be, is that, hey, hasn't that already happened? Hasn't God already, hasn't, sorry, David made it clear that God knows him fully? Why is he asking for God to search him and know him when he's just talked about how God knows everything? This is why. The reason is not that God may know, because God knows everything, but that he, that is David, may know his own heart. In verses 19 and 22, David points out wickedness in others, but he then asks God to search him because he is aware that he too is a sinner and sin and wickedness lurks in, within his own heart. Um, author Jerry Bridges says this, he says, we have become so preoccupied with some of the major sins in our society around us that we have lost sight of the need to deal with our own and more refined subtle sins. Do you tend to maximize sin in the lives of others and minimize sin in your own life? If you were to do this, if you were to ask God to search you in order to reveal subtle sins in your life, I wonder what he would reveal. All of us are sinners. We are either religious hypocrites or rebellious hedonists. The religious points the finger at others. The rebellious shakes their fists at God. One denies, but the other defies. So then, if this is true, if there is wickedness in all of us, if we are all religious or rebellious at heart, how then, like David, can we ask God to search us? and trust that he will lead us in the way everlasting. This is how. The reason David could approach God and ask with confidence to be searched is the same reason the prodigal son who failed miserably could run into the open arms of his father. You guys remember that story, right? prodigal son, you remember, there was this son goes to his father and said, hey dad, I want all of my inheritance, give me all of my money. And then he takes it and travels into the city and begins to live his life how he wants. He begins to spend and spend and squander his money. I always say Dave Ramsey would have been helpful for him in those times, right? And he spends all his money and he is devastatingly in debt. And he's so poor, he's so in debt, the only way he can get food is at a farm with the pigs. And then one day it says he came to his senses as he's eating and spending time in the mud and eating the food of the pigs. And he comes to his senses and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my father and ask him if I can come back to his house as a servant. 
And so he humbly gets up, starts walking, and he doesn't even get close to his, um, to, to his home. He gets near and his father is there, waiting with open arms to accept him back. What an amazing story that illustrates God's love and commitment to all of us who have failed miserably. The reason the prodigal son could return home, though he had blew it, was because he had a need and realized his father was the only one that could meet his needs. He came humbly, expecting to um, serve food at the table, but he ended up becoming the guest of honor at the table. Like the prodigal son, we are all in need, but our need is not for food or shelter, but forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with God, our Father. So no matter who you are, all right, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, you could have been the most you could have failed miserably no matter who you are this is reminding us that god knows you he knows everything but he's also willing to accept you and clean you and restore you most of the time we think we have to clean ourselves up right before we we come to God. I remember, this is a crazy illustration. So my family and I, we had had some people round for a barbecue, and I'm a, I'm a barbecue guy. Let me just tell you guys now, right? I can make the best smoked ribs ever, okay? I'm a Brit, I'm not from the South, but I can do it, I promise, okay? So people have come, I've, you know, I've done barbecue, and you know when you're doing barbecue, you're all smoky, you're all sweaty. After um, the event and people were going back, my five-year-old daughter, um, she wanted a hug, and so she raised her arms up um, for a hug, and I said to her, um, no, 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 darling, no, daddy is really sweaty now, and I'm just smoky and sweaty, and you don't want to get yourself all messy, and she looks up at me and says, I don't care, jumps up, and I hold her, okay, if we could flip that around, that just reminds me of how God is, most of the time, we're like, gosh, we're just so messy, we're so wicked, we're so sinful. But he says, I don't care. You can still come to me. It's not because of who you are or what you've done. The reason why you can run hard towards the open arms of God is because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Because of Jesus, you don't need to fear that he knows you perfectly. Because of Jesus, you can know that God is with you in every season. Because of Jesus Christ, you can have a personal relationship with God, your creator and the one who sustains you. And because of Jesus, because of his life, because of his death and because of his resurrection and because of his real-time intercession for you, you can trust that God will search you. He will reveal sin, not to condemn you, but to restore you to a right relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray.
God, you know our hearts. You know every thought. You know every word. You know everything about us. So God, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us understand who you are, that you are great and you are perfect, but at the same time, you are personally involved in all of our lives. You are a good God. Help us to understand this more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.